Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez-Luker. It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June 30th, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available. What was written in the little notebook Nancy found hidden in the old Crowley clock? If she hadn't been reading very carefully, she may have missed the brief comment about where to find the real will. Josiah Crowley certainly made it difficult for the Tophams to find and destroy his second will. That is good, but it almost made it impossible for the real will to come to light. What a surprise it was for everyone when the will was read out loud. Here is the thrilling finale of The Secret of the Old Clock. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew, The Secret of the Old Clock, Chapter 22 What the Notebook Revealed Just a minute, Nancy Drew stammered as she darted toward the roadster, blocking the marshal's path. There's a package in the seat. I'll put it in the back. Hastily, she picked up the clock, which was covered with a blanket. Never mind that, the marshal interposed. I can hold it. Oh, it's no trouble to put it in the catch-all at the back, Nancy assured him. Then it will be out of your way. Before the man could offer to do it for her, she had carried the clock to the rear of the car. Lifting the cover, she placed it on the floor. During the ride back to town, Nancy Drew was anything but easy in her mind, but she gave no indication that she was nervous. It was not until she had said goodbye to the marshal at the jail that she felt entirely safe. That was a narrow escape, she laughed as she drove away. It might not have gone so well with me if the marshal had discovered stolen goods in my car. It certainly wouldn't have been easy to explain how I came by that clock. Although it was late, Nancy was determined to return to River Heights that night. She was anxious to examine the notebook and learn whether or not it would disclose the hiding place of Josiah Crowley's second will. Oh, I'm so eager to get home and have a chance to dig into the notebook, she thought as she drove along the road. I went through a lot to get it, and I'll be very disappointed if it doesn't contain good news. It will mean so much to the Horner girls and poor old Abigail if the will is found. It was nearly ten o'clock that night when Nancy, tired and worn from the long automobile ride, reached her home in River Heights. As she drove into the double garage, she noticed that her father's car was gone. 
A glance at the house disclosed that the windows were dark. I wonder where father can be, she questioned herself. I wanted to tell him about my discovery right away. She removed the Crowley clock from the back of the roadster and paused an instant to gloat over it. She was well satisfied with the result of her detective work. Locking the garage door, she went inside and switched on the electric light. The house seemed deserted, for Hannah, the maid, had already retired. Father is probably working late at the office, Nancy decided. Oh, well, I may as well stay up, and while I'm waiting, I'll have a look at the notebook. During the long ride from Moon Lake, she had been impatient for an opportunity to examine the Crowley notebook, and now she lost no time in finding a screwdriver. She took off the face of the clock and from the hook removed the notebook. Now to find what became of the will, she declared, as she curled up in a comfortable chair near a reading lamp. Oh, I hope everything turns out right for Allie and Grace and for Abigail Rowan. Carefully, Nancy thumbed over the pages, for they were yellowed with age, and she was afraid they might tear. Evidently, Josiah Crowley had used the same notebook for many years. Page after page the girl read, perusing inconsequential memoranda and numerous notations of property owned by Josiah Crowley, as well as various business transactions made by him. Nancy was surprised at the list of stocks, bonds, and notes, which apparently belonged to the estate. The amount reached well over $300,000. I had no idea Josiah Crowley had that much money, she murmured. After a time, she grew impatient of the seemingly endless list, and skipping many pages, turned ahead. Suddenly, the phrase, My will, caught and held her attention. Eagerly, Nancy pounced upon it and began to read. I've found it at last, she told herself in excitement. The notation was brief and written in Josiah Crowley's cramped hand. To whom it may concern, my last will and testament will be found in safety deposit box number 148 in the Masonville National Bank. The box is under the name of Josiah Harkston. The date of this entry was recent, and the ink had not faded as in the earlier entries in the notebook. Then there was another will, Nancy exclaimed aloud. Oh, I'm sure it must be in favor of the Horner girls, too. She hurriedly read on, but although she carefully examined every page in the book, there was no other mention of the will. No wonder the will never came to light, Nancy mused. Who would ever have thought of looking for it in a safety deposit box under the name of Josiah Harkston? In his zest for safety, Josiah Crowley nearly defeated his own purpose. Her thoughts were interrupted as she heard an automobile turning in at the drive. Rushing to the window, Nancy saw her father drive into the garage. As he opened the front door, she ran to meet him. Why, hello, Nancy, he greeted her in surprise. If I'd have known you were here, I'd have come home sooner. I was doing some special work on a case. Back from Moon Lake early, aren't you? 
Yes, Nancy admitted, trying to hide her excitement, but for a good reason. Before her father could remove his hat, she had plunged into the story of her adventures and ended by showing him the notebook, which she had found inside the mantel clock. When she had finished, Carson Drew stared at her with mingled pride and amusement. You're a regular detective, Nancy. You're making fun of me. Carson Drew's face sobered. No, I'm proud of what you've done, Nancy. I couldn't have done better myself. Perhaps not so well. You took a real risk when you encountered those robbers. But so long as you're back home safe and sound, it doesn't matter. The Tophams aren't going to thank me when they find out what I've done. Hardly. They may accuse you of stealing their clock. Although so long as their house was open when you entered, they can't claim that you broke in. However, if we can manage to keep the knowledge from them, it will be just as well that they don't learn the details of how the will was found. Carson Drew picked up the notebook and glanced through it with interest. The fortune will make a nice nest egg for someone, he commented, as he looked over the list of stocks and bonds owned by Crowley. These securities are of the best, too. All gilt edge. I hope those Tophams will be cut off without a cent, Nancy declared. It's likely they will be, but of course you can never be certain until the will is read. Unless I am mistaken, your discovery will strike the Tophams at an especially awkward time. What do you mean? Well, there's a rumor going the rounds to the effect that Richard Topham has been losing heavily in the stock market this last month. He has been getting credit at a number of the banks on the strength of the inheritance, and I suspect he is depending on Crowley's money to pull him through a tight place. At least he has made every effort to speed up the settlement of the estate. It would serve the Tophams right if they lost everything, Nancy said decisively. They never had a particle of charity for anyone. They would let their relatives starve before they would help them. Carson Drew glanced again at the notebook in his hand. Now that you've found this, the thing to do is locate the will at once, before Richard Topham gets wind of what's up, he advised. We want to administer the coup de grace before the Tophams have a chance to get the fortune into their hands. Once the estate is settled... It will not be easy to wrest it away from them. I'd like to turn the matter over to you, Nancy responded promptly. I'm not familiar with legal procedure, and you know exactly what should be done. I'd be glad to help you if I can, Nancy. The first thing, of course, is to get our hands on the will. That should be easy. We can drive over to the Masonville National Bank the first thing in the morning. Yes, but we haven't authority to open the safety deposit box. It may be necessary to get a court order, Carson Drew reminded his daughter. That's so, I hadn't thought of that. But you can manage it, can't you? Carson Drew chuckled. Well, I know the judge. Yes, I think I can arrange it all right. I'll tell him I'm acting as counsel for the Horner girls. I really am, because I promised I would help them if I could. I'm just sure everything is going to turn out as I hoped, Nancy cried enthusiastically. The deserving relatives will get the money, and the Tophams will be left out in the cold. 
Abigail Rowan will have the medical attention she needs, and Allie and Grace will be fixed for life. Don't build your hopes too high, Carson Drew advised her wisely. There may be a slip, you know. We may fail to find the will in the deposit box. And, of course, there is a chance that Josiah Crowley didn't dispose of the fortune as it was expected that he would. If I were you, I wouldn't say anything to the Horner girls until we are certain. I won't, Nancy promised as she turned toward the stairs. But I can't help hoping. I'm going to bed now and get a good night's rest. Then tomorrow we'll start off on the big adventure. Oh, I can scarcely wait to find out what the will contains. Halfway up the stairs she hesitated, and then returned to the living room and picked up the notebook, which rested on the table. After all I've gone through to get my hands on this, I'm not going to take any chances, she laughed. Tonight, I'm going to sleep with it under my pillow. Chapter 23 Looking for the Will When Nancy Drew awoke the following morning, the bright sunlight was streaming in at her open bedroom window. As her eyes turned toward the little clock on her dresser, she was alarmed to see that it was after nine o'clock. How could I oversleep on a morning like this? she asked herself. Quickly running her hand under the pillow, she brought out the Crowley notebook and surveyed it with satisfaction. Oh, what a surprise those Tophams are going to get! she chuckled softly. Hastily dressing, Nancy hurried downstairs. She found that her father had already left for the office. Oh dear, she thought, I wonder if he forgot. At that moment, Hannah appeared from the kitchen, bearing a plate of crisp, steaming waffles. Your father said I was to tell you to go to his office just as soon as you finish your breakfast, she informed Nancy. He said you were to bring your notebook. My notebook? Oh, yes, I know what he meant. It won't take long to eat breakfast, she predicted, as she seated herself at the table. After a hasty meal, she climbed into the roadster and drove to her father's office. She found him alone in the inner office. I'm sorry I overslept this morning, Nancy apologized. Have I kept you waiting? Not at all, her father assured her pleasantly. I told Hannah not to awaken you because I knew you needed rest. And anyway, we couldn't do anything about the will without an order from the court. Did you get it? Yes, I saw the judge early this morning. After explaining everything to him, he gave me the paper. I have it here. Carson Drew tapped an inside pocket. I brought the notebook with me. You wanted it, didn't you? Yes, I thought it might be necessary to show to the judge but we won't need it now. However, it may be well to put it in the safe. I'll do it now. Carson Drew took the notebook from Nancy, and after placing it inside a small safe, closed and locked the door. When shall we start for Masonville? Nancy asked, somewhat impatiently. Right now, if you're ready. After leaving a number of instructions with his private secretary, Carson Drew followed his daughter from the office he took his place beside her in the roadster. I'll never get over it if we don't find the will, she declared as they drove along. A flush of excitement had tinted her cheeks, and her eyes were bright. 
You must remember one thing, Nancy, returned her father calmly. Crowley was a queer character, and did things in a queer way. So the will may be there, and again, it may not be. Perhaps he left only further directions in a box. I remember one case in Canada many years ago. An eccentric Frenchman died, and he left directions to look in a trunk of old clothes. In the pocket of a coat were found further directions to look in a closet of his home. There his family found directions to look in a copper boiler. The boiler had disappeared and was finally located in a curiosity shop. Inside, on the bottom, was pasted what proved to be a word puzzle. The old Frenchman's heirs were about to give up in despair when a puzzler solved the puzzle, and the man's bag of gold was found under a board in his bedroom. Oh, but they found it anyway, breathed Nancy. The trip to Masonville was quickly accomplished, and in a short time, Nancy stopped the roadster in front of the Masonville National Bank. You may as well come in, too, Carson Drew said as Nancy hesitated. Parking the car at the curbing, the two entered the bank. Mr. Drew offered his professional card and asked to see the president. After a few minutes' wait, they were ushered into a private conference room. An elderly man arose to greet them. The introductions accomplished, Mr. Drew hastened to state his mission. Before he could finish the story, the bank president cut him short. I'm afraid you have come to the wrong place. To my knowledge, we have never had any dealings with a man by the name of Josiah Crowley. Perhaps you did not know him by that name. I believe he had a deposit box here under the name of Josiah Harkston. Josiah Harkston, the banker repeated thoughtfully. It seems to me we have been trying to get in touch with a man by that name. If I remember correctly, the rent on his safety deposit box has not been paid for some time. If you will wait a moment, I will find out. The banker left the room. He returned in a few minutes with a sheet of paper in his hand. According to our record, a Josiah Harkston rented box 148 from us. But the past year the rent has not been paid. Here is his signature if you care to look at it. Eagerly, Nancy and her father examined the sheet of paper, which the banker handed them. At a glance, they saw that the writing was in the same cramped hand of Josiah Crowley. It may be that Crowley and Harkston were the same person, as you say, the banker continued, but we have no authority to permit you to examine the contents of the safety deposit box. I have an order from the court, Mr. Drew said quietly. Oh, that is different. The banker's attitude underwent a sudden change. May I see the document, please? Certainly. Mr. Drew removed the paper from his pocket and handed it to the banker. After examining it for a minute, the president returned it. You find it satisfactory? Perfectly. You are welcome to open the safety deposit box. Of course, in the presence of a bank official. I suppose you have the key? Nancy's face fell. She had never once thought of the key. We have no key, Mr. Drew admitted. Isn't there one in the bank which will fit the box? He knew some small banks had this. No, we did away with that when we got our regular vault, said the banker. 
But wait a minute, he added suddenly. I think I can help you out. He disappeared into another part of the bank and presently came back holding up a sealed envelope. That man had two keys for his box, and he left one here in my possession, sealed up as you can see. As you have a court order, I feel you are entitled to this key. And he handed the envelope to Mr. Drew. The envelope was marked with Josiah Crowley's assumed name, also the number of his box. It contained a small, flat key, nothing more. Now we will go to the boxes, said the bank official. Nancy and her father followed the president into the main part of the bank. They were then admitted into a small room, which was protected by heavily barred doors. Finally, they entered the vault, which contained the safety deposit boxes. The president inserted a small key in a lock, and then used the key given to Mr. Drew, and finally pulled out a metal box, which bore the number 148. Politely, he handed the box to Mr. Drew, who quickly lifted the lid and peered inside. Unable to resist the temptation, Nancy peeped over her father's shoulder. The box was empty save for one document in the bottom. Oh, it must be the will, Nancy cried before Mr. Drew could examine the paper. It is the will, her father announced, after a hasty glance at the document. A will, eh? said the bank official with a keen interest. Yes, and I will ask you to do me a favor. Kindly place your initials on each page, so you can later on identify it if necessary and I will do the same. Certainly, Mr. Drew, I've done that before. Mr. Drew thanked the president for the help he had given, and with Nancy left the bank. Once they had gained the comparative privacy of the roadster, they grinned at each other, like two mischievous youngsters. Well, we put it over, eh, Nancy? We certainly did, but read the will. I'm dying to find out what it says. I can't stand the suspense another minute. The will comprised several pages, all written in Josiah Crowley's cramped style. Mr. Drew spread the pages out before him, and Nancy poured over them. Not only was the fine writing difficult to make out, but the legal terms were confusing. It's going to be a terrible task to study it all out, Nancy complained. Yes, I think we better take it to the office, Mr. Drew suggested. He picked up the last page of the will and studied it closely. I see Dr. Nesbitt signed as a witness. No wonder the will never came to light. If you remember, he died a few days after Crowley. Thomas Wackley, the other witness, I never heard of. Oh, I don't care who witnessed the will, Nancy said impatiently. I want to find out if Allie and Grace and poor Abigail got anything. I can't make head nor tail out of it. I see their names are mentioned, Mr. Drew told her, pointing to one of the pages. Oh, I'm so glad. So long as I know they're taken care of, I suppose I can wait until we get to your office to find out the details. We can have the will copied in typewriting. Yes, I want to go over the document carefully. It is evident that Crowley drew it up himself, and I want to make sure it's legal.
Oh, do you think there is any danger it won't be? Nancy questioned anxiously. I can't tell until I go over it in detail, Nancy. But from a hasty examination, it appears that the Tophams aren't mentioned, and they are certain to make trouble if they can. I want to make sure there is no way for them to break the will before I notify them. We have it in our possession. Mr. Drew folded the papers and placed them carefully in his pocket. As Nancy started the motor in preparation for the return trip to River Heights, she began to chuckle. <laughs> if the will does prove to be legal, won't it be a blow for the Tophams? I'd give a lot to see how they take it. I think it would be a splendid idea to call a meeting of all the relatives and read the will aloud. I'm afraid you have a dark motive behind that idea, Mr. Drew laughed, but I'll try to humor you this time. What's more, I'll promise that you may be present when the coup de grace is administered to the Tophams. Chapter 24 The Coup de Grace Oh, Father, it's nearly two o'clock now. The relatives should be coming in a few minutes. I'm so excited. Carson Drew, who stood in the living room of the Drew home, smiled indulgently at his daughter as she fluttered about, arranging chairs. I believe you're more thrilled than if you were inheriting the fortune yourself, he remarked. I am thrilled, Nancy admitted. I can scarcely wait until the will is read aloud. Won't everyone be surprised, especially the Tophams. Do you think they will come? Oh, yes, the Tophams will be here. And unless I am mistaken, they will bring a lawyer with them. Just as soon as they learned that another will had come to light, they began to worry. Are you certain the will can't be broken? Nancy inquired anxiously. Of course I can't be certain, Nancy, but I have gone over it carefully. And so far as I can tell, it is technically perfect. Josiah Crowley was peculiar in some ways, but he was no one's fool. I'll promise you the Tophams will have a difficult time of it if they try to break the will. After locating the Crowley will in a safety deposit box at the Masonville National Bank in the town of Masonville, Carson Drew and his daughter had read it carefully. Without disclosing the contents to anyone, they had called a special meeting of the relatives at the Drew home. With the exception of Abigail Rowan, who was confined to her bed, all had promised to be present. Grace and Allie Horner, although not relatives, had also been invited to attend the meeting. It's too bad Abigail Rowan can't come, said Nancy, but we'll get the news to her fast enough. It will probably be a great surprise all around, said her father with a little smile. Nancy, you have done a remarkable piece of work. Oh, I can hardly wait to have it all cleared up, cried the happy girl. We may have some hard minutes with the Tophams, Nancy. Yes, I suppose so. I suppose anyone would be sorry to see a fortune slipping away. Well, we'll see what happens, returned the lawyer. The Horner girls are coming up the walk now, Nancy announced, glancing out of the window. I'm dying to tell them the news, but I'll wait. She greeted Allie and Grace cordially and escorted them to comfortable chairs in the living room. 
Is it true the will has been found? Allie whispered. You and Grace have no cause to worry, Nancy assured her with a mysterious smile. No sooner had she seated the Horner sisters than the doorbell rang again. This time she admitted Edna and Matilda Turner, who were dressed in their best black silk gowns. A few minutes later, the Matthews brothers, William and Fred, arrived. I guess everyone is here now except for the Tophams, Carson Drew commented. We had better wait for them a few minutes. There was no need to wait, for at that moment, the doorbell jangled sharply. Nancy opened the door, and the four members of the Topham family sailed grandly in. As Carson Drew had predicted, they were accompanied by a lawyer. Why have we been called here? Mrs. Topham demanded, addressing Mr. Drew. Have you the audacity to claim that another will has been found? I have the will here, Mrs. Topham, Carson Drew replied politely. It's preposterous, Mrs. Topham stormed. Josiah Crowley made only one will, and in that he left everything to us. It looks like a conspiracy to me, Ada added tartly as she gazed coldly upon the relatives who were seated about the room. Isabel did not speak but tossed her head contemptuously. Richard Topham likewise did not offer a comment, but uneasily seated himself beside the lawyer who had accompanied him. If you will kindly be seated, Mrs. Topham, we will read the will, Mr. Drew suggested. Reluctantly, Mrs. Topham obeyed. As you have probably learned by this time, Mr. Drew began, a second will of the late Josiah Crowley has been found, in a safety deposit box in a Masonville bank. The will is unusually long, and with your permission, I will read only the portions which have to do with the disposal of the property. Mr. Drew picked up several sheets of typewriting from the table, and after a moment's hesitation, began to read in a clear voice. I, Josiah Crowley, do make this my last will and testament hereby revoking all former wills by me at any time made. I give and bequeath all my property, real and personal, as follows. To my beloved friends and neighbors, Allie and Grace Horner, the sum of $75,000 each. Oh, I can't believe it, Allie gasped. Neither can I, Mrs. Topham snapped. $150,000! when they aren't even relatives. Why, that's nearly half of the estate. The will is a fraud. There is no mistake, Mr. Drew told her quietly. Again, he picked up the will and began to read. To Abigail Rowan, in consideration of her kindness to me, the sum of $75,000. Oh, I'm so glad, Grace murmured. Now she'll be able to get the medical attention she needs, Allie added. I wish she could have been here, Nancy said quietly, but I'll see to it that she is notified before the day is over. That old lady gets $75,000, Ada Topham demanded harshly. What did she ever do for Crowley? Angrily, she turned to her mother. We kept him for years, and this is the pay we get? To my nephews. Fred and William Matthews, the sum of $20,000 each, Mr. Drew read. 
We didn't expect that much, the Matthews brothers declared in genuine surprise. To my cousins, Edna and Matilda Turner, the sum of $20,000 each. Oh, how generous, Edna murmured. Aren't we mentioned at all? Mrs. Topham broke in sharply. Mr. Drew smiled. Yes, you are mentioned, but perhaps not in the way you anticipate. I'm coming to that now. To Grace and Allie Horner, my household furniture, now in the possession of Mrs. Richard Topham. There was a gasp of surprise from everyone in the room, and Mrs. Topham half arose from her chair. It was generally known about River Heights that the Toppams had practically confiscated Josiah Crowley's furniture at the time they induced him to make his home with them. How insulting, Mrs. Topham cried. Does Josiah Crowley dare hint that I took his furniture? I'm sure we don't know what was in his mind at the time he wrote the will, Carson Drew told her with a smile. Oh, we have enough without the furniture, Grace interposed quickly. Haven't we, Allie? Allie nodded. We'll not take the household goods from you, Mrs. Topham. Carson Drew carefully folded the document he had been reading, and after placing it in a drawer, turned to the relatives. That's all there is except that there is a proviso to pay all his just debts, including his funeral expenses, and that what little balance is left, maybe three or four thousand dollars, goes to the Manningham Old Men's Home. Fortunately, Josiah Crowley kept his assets in a liquid state. It will not be difficult to convert the estate into cash. For that reason, I should think it would be possible to draw on your inheritances at once. But we're actually cut off without a cent? Richard Topham asked in disbelief. His face was unusually white. I'm afraid you are, Mr. Drew replied. But it can't be, Mr. Topham returned. You don't understand. I must have the money. I can't help you. I did not make the will. It's a conspiracy, Ada cried bitterly. She wheeled upon Nancy, her face convulsed with anger. You had something to do with this, Nancy Drew, she said bitterly. Perhaps I had, Nancy admitted pleasantly. We'll break the will, Mrs. Topham announced firmly. Of course, you may drag the matter into the court if you like, Mr. Drew responded, but I warn you it will be only a waste of your time and money. If you don't wish to accept my judgment, ask your own lawyer. Mr. Drew is right, the lawyer said promptly, without waiting for Mrs. Topham to question him. Oh, he is, is he? Mrs. Topham retorted. Well, if that's all you know about the law, you're discharged. We'll get another lawyer, and we'll fight to the last ditch. With that, she arose and stalked grandly from the room. Isabel and Ada followed, after bestowing a withering glance upon Nancy. Mr. Topham brought up the rear. As soon as the door had closed behind them, their lawyer arose and picked up his briefcase. Well, I can't say I'm sorry to lose the case, he remarked to Mr. Drew, as he too took his leave. At once, the atmosphere became less strained. Everyone began to talk at once. Oh, Nancy, I can hardly believe it yet, 
Allie declared happily. The money means so much to Grace and me, and we owe it all to you, Nancy Drew. You haven't told us how you came to find the will, but I know you were responsible. As the Horner girls and Mr. Crowley's relatives begged her for the details, Nancy Drew told of her adventures with the robbers at Moon Lake. When she finished the story, they praised her highly for what she had done. We'll never be able to thank you enough, Grace said quietly. But after the estate has been settled, we'll try to show our appreciation. It was on the tip of Nancy's tongue to say that she did not want a reward. When Mr. Drew turned the conversation into a different channel, the Tophams will not give up the money without a fight, he said. My advice would be to ask the court to appoint an administrator at once. We all want you, I'm sure, Grace Horner declared quickly. She regarded the others questioningly. Everyone nodded assent. And of course, we want you to act as our lawyer, Grace added. I'll be glad to assist you, Mr. Drew promised. If the Tophams bring the matter into court, I'll give them a battle they'll never forget. After thanking Mr. Drew and Nancy for what they had done, the relatives at last took their departure. Allie and Grace were the last to leave. As they turned to say goodbye to Nancy, Carson Drew opened a closet and took out the Crowley clock. I guess this belongs to you now, he remarked, handing the clock to Allie. It was included in Crowley's household goods. I don't know what we'll do with it, Allie laughed. Presently, the Horner girls departed with the clock. On the porch, they paused to whisper significantly to Nancy. You'll hear from us again. After everyone had left the house, Mr. Drew turned to his daughter with a smile. Well, we administered the coup de grace to the Tophams, all right. Yes, wasn't it funny to watch their faces when they learned they were cut off without a cent? They took it hard. It's my opinion the Tophams won't be able to hold their heads so high after this. Richard Topham looked rather sick when he left. I suspect he's desperately in need of ready cash. The Tophams deserve to be cut off without a cent, Nancy declared. I'm so glad everything came out right, and that Allie and Grace received the bulk of the fortune. Yes, they are charming girls. Unless I am mistaken, they intend to reward you for what you did, Nancy. It wouldn't surprise me, but of course, I'll not take money from them. However, if they should offer me a reward, I know what I shall ask for. What is that? Oh, you must wait and see. And Nancy laughed mysteriously. They haven't offered me anything yet. Before Carson Drew could quiz her, she skipped out the side door and vanished. Chapter 25 A Reward I suppose you've heard about the Tophams, Carson Drew remarked to his daughter one morning some months after the reading of the Crowley Will. Why, no, what about them? They're practically in bankruptcy. Richard Topham has been losing steadily on the stock market of late. After his failure to recover the Crowley fortune, the banks reduced his credit. He's been forced to give up his home on the avenue. No, really? How that must hurt Mrs. Topham and the two girls. Yes, it's undoubtedly a bitter pill to swallow. They're moving into a small house this week. 
and from now on they'll not be able to carry themselves so high. I hope they don't try to make any more trouble about the will, Nancy commented. Goodness knows they've made enough already. The Tophams had not given up the Crowley estate without a bitter battle. They had put forth the claim that the will Nancy had unearthed was a forged document, but they had been unable to prove their statement. The case had finally been thrown out of court. As administrator of the estate, Carson Drew had advanced the Horner girls and Abigail Rowan a portion of their inheritance. Several weeks before, Nancy had visited Abigail and was delighted to find her in surprisingly good health. She had secured medical attention, and a trained nurse was in constant attendance. I believe I'll run out into the country today and visit the Horner girls, Nancy told her father. They telephoned yesterday and asked me to come. They hinted they had something special to tell me. Perhaps they're going to reward you for finding the will, Mr. Drew suggested. Oh, it's been nearly a month since they said anything about it, Nancy returned carelessly. By this time, they've probably forgotten all about it. After luncheon, she set off for the farmhouse in her blue roadster. It was a beautiful autumn, and Nancy Drew thoroughly enjoyed the ride. As she came within sight of the farmhouse, Nancy was astonished at the transformation which had taken place. The house had been given a fresh coat of white paint, and a bright green roof replaced the old one. The yard was well kept, and beds of hardy plants had been set out. In the barnyard, many new hen houses were going up. Perhaps the most surprising thing was the large number of chickens in evidence. Welcome to the chicken farm, Allie Horner cried enthusiastically as she ran from the house to greet Nancy. I never saw so many chickens in all my life, Nancy declared. All leghorns, too, Allie told her proudly. By this time, Grace Horner had reached the roadster, and she, too, gave Nancy a hearty welcome. Allie is in her element these days, she laughed. She's putting in incubators, and from now on will raise nothing but high-grade fowls. You must see everything, Allie insisted. Nancy was piloted from one place to another. She saw the new chicken houses which were being built and the incubators. But the thing which pleased her the most was the realization that Allie and Grace were happy in their work. Well, I must be getting back to River Heights, she remarked after a time. Oh, you can't go yet, Allie interposed with a quick glance at her sister. You tell her, Grace. We asked you here today for a special reason, Grace began a trifle awkwardly. You see... We've been thinking for a long time that we've never done a thing to show our appreciation for what you did. We've talked with the others, and everyone has agreed that we should reward. Oh, I don't want a reward, Nancy broke in. I wanted to help, and anyway, it was fun for me. But we wanted to do something really handsome, Allie cried in disappointment. It doesn't seem fair not to give you a reward. There's one way you can reward me if you really want to, Nancy said after a little hesitation. How? Allie and Grace demanded in one breath. Well, it may sound silly, but I would like to have the Crowley clock for my very own. And 
Is that all you want? Grace questioned in disappointment. We'll be glad to give you a hundred clocks, if you'll only take them. Just the old Crowley clock. That's all I care for. And if you particularly want it yourself... Oh, goodness no, Grace assured her quickly. It doesn't keep particularly good time, and we have more heirlooms now than we know what to do with. Wait a minute, and I'll get it for you. She disappeared inside the farmhouse, returning in a few minutes with the old-fashioned timepiece. She handed it to Nancy. You're more than welcome to it, she declared warmly, but it isn't a reward at all. It's the only reward I want, Nancy replied, smiling at the two Horner girls. I don't see why you want the thing, Allie commented. It's not much to look at. Nancy did not reply at once, but gazed meditatively at the clock. Truly, it was not handsome, but for her it had a peculiar appeal. She could not explain to Allie and Grace just why she prized it, for her feeling was something she could not put into words. Certainly she was attached to it because of its suggestion of her recent adventure. I wonder if I'll ever have another half so thrilling, Nancy thought. As she stood gazing wistfully at the old clock, she could not know that before many months had passed, she would be involved in a mystery far more baffling than the one she had just solved. Her adventures, recounted in the next volume of this series, The Hidden Staircase, were before her. Nancy Drew did not have the power of projecting herself into the future, and yet, as she looked down at the timepiece, she seemed to know that exciting days were soon to come. I'll always prize this clock as a trophy of my first venture as a detective, she said quietly, turning to Allie and Grace. It will serve as a pleasant reminder of a thrilling adventure, and who knows, perhaps as a promise for the future. The End This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we begin a new book. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.